After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, my name is John Manuel. Thank you so much for the download here at BaseballAmerica.com. We'll have a couple questions sent in to us at the podcast at BaseballAmerica.com address. If you'd like to sponsor that inbox, feel free to give us a holler at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Um, but also, uh, we are going to talk National League Central top prospects next week, uh, or maybe even later this week, will be uh, some National League West top prospects. Which will be our and, we're wrap getting, up. and we're getting into the top 100, and we're also obviously starting our uh, college preview blowout at baseballamerica.com this week. And toward the end of today's podcast, we'll reveal our Super Bowl picks for uh, the, the big game coming up this weekend uh, with our expert, J.J. Cooper. And if you want to hear some uh, – if you really want to talk Super Bowl, I would encourage you to check out uh, – just blog J- – just Google J.J. Cooper plus Steelers and you'll get some offensive line uh, and defensive line I do breakdowns. Love line J.J. loves line play, and that will all be broken down uh, online. But we'll let uh, – we won't plug it too much. That's enough of a plug for, for that. Uh, National League Central, though, J.J., one thing to me stands out about the National League Central's prospects, they're not that good. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the strongest division. Uh, all six of these organizations have some warts on them. Uh, now, you do the Reds, so no. we'll probably talk a little bit more about the Reds today than any other organization. But, but it's, it's not a strong When When you say that, group. one thing that jumps out to me, and this is just completely off the top of my head, but... If you looked at each of these teams and you compared it to last year's top ten, I don't know. I guess maybe the Pirates, because Pedro Alvarez is you right. know at number one, and they did bring in you know a lot of guys in trades. The yeah, Pirates probably have a better top ten now than they did last year. Pirates uh, and Cardinals probably the ones that are the most improved. I think yeah. the Cardinals have made a, a decent leap forward, and they're kind of a controversial organization. So we can talk a little bit about them when we get to them about uh, their ranking. And their farm system, how good or how not good it is, uh, really depends on your point of view. Um, but I do think it's – I think you're right. I think in general the Cubs, uh, the Brewers graduated some guys. And they traded away, traded Matt. away guys to, to make the uh, CC Sabathia trade. I mean, the Reds graduated some guys. Uh, the top some, four guys from last year yeah, don't qualify gr- for this year's yeah, they list. Yeah, a great rookie year from uh, guys like Johnny Cueto, a good rookie year from uh, uh, Johnny, Joey Votto, decent rookie year from Johnny Cueto, decent rookie year from Jay Bruce. Homer Bailey no longer qualifying. Not and not a decent rookie year. Not a, not a good rookie year in any way, shape, or form. Um, but like you said, and, and I think the other... Uh, and the Astros, I mean, they got Jason Castro at the top, which, you know... And actually, the Astros are trending up, but that's because they had nowhere to go but up. <laughs> that's, that's basically, you know, because they were, you know, at the bottom with a bullet last year, yeah. and they're at the bottom this year. I mean, last year's number one, I think it was a good choice as number one, was J.R. Tolles, and he had about as bad a 
rookie season as you can have. What do you hit one eighteen? Uh, it was it, it was, was bad. It was it was awful. And the reality of it is, is that when you look back on it, it's not like you go, well, they should have had you know this guy should have been you know number one because the reality is is that they didn't have a number one prospect. Yeah, no, year. they didn't, and they they barely do this year. Now, what do you think, uh, JJ? What to you is the top? Farm system or top top ten anyway. We'll put it that way. What's the best top ten in this division? You know, it I, sounds like pre-show we narrowed it down to St. Louis and Milwaukee. I, so which beer do you I like, like better? I like the Brewers. I like the Brewers. I I think that you know Escobar at, is number one. Alcides Escobar. You know, it's as good a defensive shortstop prospect as out there. Especially the combination of I mean, he's a he's a he's a glove first shortstop who can hit right. or has hit at times. Now. You know, I I think there is some debate. I know he had a very good year in Huntsville last year. I would not, you know, be surprised at all if they hand him, you know, if he ends up being handed the shortstop job at some point this year that, you know, he might struggle with the bat some of the big leagues. Right. I don't think he's a great fantasy shortstop. Right. But he is, I mean, a very solid shortstop prospect. And the thing that just jumps out to me is is that, you know, Matt Gamble's number two. He's a he's one of the better hitting prospects in the minor leagues. No doubt. I mean, no doubt. Now that Prince Fielder has re you know, signed a new deal, I don't know where that you know necessarily he fits at the big league level. But Triple A Nashville for, for short for the short term I think. But yeah, the big right, leagues where not, does he I mean, go? I don't know. Is he a third I mean not a whole lot of people would think, Hey, the great third baseman, you know, this guy's gonna be able to stick there. Right. But you know, Brett Lowry three but as much as that, what jumps out also is, is that you've got guys like Taylor Green, 8, Cole Gillespie, 9, Jonathan LeCroy, 10. Those are guys who I, you know, I kind of like. Those are really solid guys. I, I think the the Brewers' top 10 has uh, a lot of potential for big league regulars like Escobar, Gamel, Lowry. I think Lowry's a potential star. Uh, you know, guys who Jeremy have Jeffers a chance to be big league regulars like Dykstra and Kane, Green. I don't know what to think of Angel Solomon. I, I just—he's a completely off-the-board guy. I just don't know what to think of a five-foot-seven catcher who's had a performance-enhancing drug uh, suspension in his career. I just—I just don't know what to make of him. That, the, the concern for me with the Brewers is the lack of pitching in their farm system. Only one pitcher in the top ten, and Jeremy Jeffress. Um, it's not been something they—you know—you look back through their uh, history. You know, you're, they have developed uh, two guys now in their big league rotation in Gallardo and uh, Manny Parra. But, you know, Mark Rogers, uh, kind of his career's withered away as they took away his tubing and wouldn't let him long draw, long toss. I'm pointing the finger at the Brewers 100% on that. Um, but I also say that, uh, to me, that's why I think I like St. Louis's farm system maybe a little bit better because I do think the Cardinals have a little bit more balance, and I, I do like their hitters. Um, you know, Alcides Escobar versus Colby Rasmus. I'll take Colby Rasmus, even though I like Escobar. I did the Brewers system a couple years ago. Maybe it was three or four years ago. And uh, actually, I think it was after the 2004 season, um, and we had Escobar uh, pretty high then. And I remember it was controversial that we had Escobar ranked over Hernan Erebaran. Um, it's worked out, it's worked out now, pretty well. Now residing in the where are they now, where is he corking his bat now file. Um, so, uh, you know, then Brett Wallace, you know, Brett Wallace and Matt Gamble are a good comp. They uh, really are. I think Matt Gamble has shown more with the bat, certainly, but Brett Wallace in his first pro season did get the double A. And Brett Wallace has as good a first pro season as anyone from last year's draft. I, mean, I think he probably had the best debut of anyone from last year's draft when you factor everything in. Do I think he'll play third base long-term in the major leagues? No, but guess what? He might even have a shot in 2009 with Troy Glass's injury issues. Um, and if, Gr- and if Glass doesn't do con- it, yeah, you, you, you have David Freeze, who's a, your number nine prospect, who doesn't have a huge ceiling, but I think David Freeze can be like a – Really dependable, 300, 400 at bat guy 
first base, third base, emergency catcher, the, you know, left field kind of guy. The thing with Wallace is that you we sometimes, I mean, you can get so caught up on, well, can he play third long term? The profile, and all that. yeah. And the reality of it is, is that if you focus on what he can do, the guy can hit. Correct. And he can hit probably well enough, you know, that, yes, okay, with St. Louis, he's not going to be a first baseman. Right. We know that. But he hits well enough that you got to figure, you know, if you focus on, that's the biggest tool that, you know, that's the most valuable tool you can have. Absolutely. If you can hit, They'll find a way to have you play. I think when you're when we're factoring in, you know, the Cardinals have to decide: can this guy help our major league team on the field? And he probably can't do that at first base because of Albert Pujols is the best player in the game, and that's their first baseman. So he has to play third base or maybe left field. When we're looking at Brett Wallace, that's not really as big of a factor for us. We're just assessing him as a player, regardless of what his situation is with the Cardinals. So uh, then you have a couple guys in Chris Perez and Jason Mott who've already contributed in the major leagues. Yes, they're relievers, but they've already shown the ability to be pretty good relievers. Granted, it's small sample size, but those two guys have big-time stuff. Right, and in Mott's case, well, you know, you look at what he did, and I know he had a 0.82 ERA in the big league. That's right. really good. I'm more impressed what he did in AAA. Absolutely. 110 strikeouts in 67 innings. Oh, absolutely, and only 26 walks. Uh, this is a guy, you first read about him in Baseball America back in the summer of 2002. He was the number 10 prospect in the New England Collegiate League as a catcher. He was rated there for one reason only, because of his defense. USA Baseball Steve Cohen told me about him, and uh, the USA uh, college team played the NECBL. Uh, they did a tour up there. He said that Jason Mott was the best defensive catcher he'd seen in college baseball in years, and that's why Jason Mott got a chance to catch as a pro, because it wasn't because of his bat. And he, and he was one a, of the, a historically bad hitter. He, he was on, I, you know, do the Florida State League for us as far as best tools and all. Oh, and yeah. There were a couple years there when it was just it was very easy to pick best defensive catcher. Almost unanimous, probably. It was just basically okay, Jason Mott, and next year was oh, Jason Mott again. But he but, could never get the the whole uh, hang of that hitting deal, and now he's a pitcher, and he's already gotten the big league. So it's a it's a great story there. But I, I think the Cardinals are a little bit better. They have more guys close to the majors. They have a couple of uh, you know, to me like the the middle tier, the five, six, seven guys on our pages laid out. JJ, that's the difference between for me with St. Louis and Milwaukee. Uh, five, six, seven. It's really weird how these systems kind of parallel each other. Angel Salome, five for Milwaukee, catcher. Brian Anderson, five, catcher for the for the Cardinals. Anderson is the, certainly the more conventional prospect. Mm-hmm. I think I give him a slight edge over Salome. Clayton Mortensen versus Lorenzo, Lorenzo Cain. I'm a big Clayton Mortensen guy. I've always thought he's going to be a nice uh, uh, that he's a nice prospect. The guy, the Triple A, in basically his first full season. That's not easy to do. Those numbers are not good, but. He's a college senior. I understand that too. But you're taking a guy who's one year out of Gonzaga and sticking him in the, sticking him in the Pacific Coast League. That's and he survived, and his strikeout you know numbers are pretty good. The walk rate not so good. I still like Clayton Mortensen, and then Daryl Jones is a real a high upside guy. And I think I would take him over any of the outfielders that uh, the Brewers have: Kane, Dykstra, Gillespie. I think I'd rather have Daryl Jones than those guys. So to me, the Cardinals farm system in the top ten at least a little bit better than Milwaukee's. And I, I really do give Milwaukee a knock against it because it's a historic lack of ability to develop pitchers. They've got them up with three this decade, and that's pretty good. Ben Sheets, Yoga Gallardo, and then uh, and Manny Parra. But that's been a historical blind spot for that organization. And I don't see that ending when Jeremy Jeffers is their only real uh, guy they're kind of banking on. And then after that, so those are the top two, and I think we both agree those are the top two. Yeah, I think, I think there's a decent drop-off after that to I, number know, three. The Reds, I think we both agree – our number three, because let's make it clear that, and I think the Reds are kind of in a little strata, you know, 
I, I think we both agree that the Pirates, you know, I, there are other people in the office who believe that the Pirates may compare or be above the Reds. Yeah. I think we both agree that the Reds are a little bit above the Pirates. I think so, as too. And I, I do think so. I think the biggest reason that people in the office, the, 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 for the differing opinion, it really depends on how much you believe in Pedro Alvarez. I think that's really what it comes down to. And how much stock do you put in Pedro Alvarez and how much does he make? Because he's the difference maker. And for me, yeah, Pedro Alvarez, I think, will be a star. But I don't bet against you, uh, Yonder Alonso either. Oh, I think I think with both of them, especially Yonder Alonso is going to be, you know, I mean, we, we quote Denny Green here a lot. But he is going to be what we, you know, what right. we thought he's going to be. I mean, right. I, it's hard to believe that he won't be a, you know, a middle-of-the-order Gets on base, yeah. doesn't strike out a whole lot, hits for some power. Probably not going to hit for you know. That's the real question. How much power will Yonder right. Alonso? Yonder I think he's going to hit for power. I don't think he'll hit forty homers or anything. Right. But you know, but he's going to be more that guy who you know who hits for average, gets on base, and hits for power. You know, yes, there are some questions with him about you know. Okay, well, the Reds just promoted you know Joey Votto to the big leagues last year. He had a very good rookie year. That will get worked out, you know, probably when we're talking 2010. Right. Know, whether right. it's Votto moving. Votto has played outfield before and actually is it's not awful at it. It's not great at it, not awful at it. Or do they move one of the guys, you know, at that point? Right, but, right. But the, the, the interesting thing with the Reds list, I think what another reason for the variance in opinions on them, JJ, is you do have two teenage, you know, 16-, 17-year-old Latin players in their top ten, and Jorman Rodriguez at five and Juan Duran at nine. And obviously they got a lot of money, uh, almost $5 million between the two of them. Um, what was the ranking process like for you in deciding where those guys would rank and balancing those two guys versus, say, Chris Dickerson, who I know is a favorite of yours, uh, is a favorite of mine because he went to Nevada. I think he'll be like the seventh Nevada hitter to get to the big leagues in the last Already decade. Already is the seventh. He's right. Oh, no, he yeah, is, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, and a lot of Nevada overachievers out there, Kevin Kuzminov, Lyle Overbay, Joe Inglet. Um, you know, this is – uh, strong track record for players out of that program, and I, I like Chris Dickerson for that reason. How do you rank those guys over a guy in Chris Dickerson who right now is their everyday left fielder? Is he not? At least their platoon left fielder. Well, it's yeah, kind of a. It looks like it. I mean, it's platoon a, with Johnny Gomes. Is that it? it awesome. Right now, they you know there's still talk that they may go out and get another outfielder right now, and they've added Willie Tavares to perhaps Adam Dunn. <laughs> would make sense, you know. I don't think it'll happen, but it just would make some sense. But Marty uh, Brenneman will never let that happen. But that was it. Was a very difficult year to rank the Reds from the standpoint of, okay, you know, Yonder Alonso, Todd Frazier, kind of clearly, you know, the one-two, pick which one you want to have one, pick which one you want to have two. And maybe Todd Frazier should be their everyday left fielder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard, you know, I've heard rumblings that, you know, hey, that is at least a possibility because he's played the position and he's not that far away. You know, he's not really ready. I mean, he's only played high A. So, right. But there is, you know, I mean, they'll have to this year in some ways decide, okay, at some point they're going to have to decide with Todd Frazier where do we think he – do we want him to keep being a utility guy, or do we want to let him settle on a position and play it? I mean, I think, to me, that position is third base because I know they have a lot of third basemen in the system, but they don't have another third baseman in the system, you know, the farm system. Edwin right, Curnacion's right. at the big league level. But in the farm system, Neftali Soto, Juan Francisco are guys who there's some question about whether they'll be able to stick at third. Correct. There doesn't seem to be a question with Frazier. Juan Francisco, by the way, had a Big-time winter ball. Big, very big winter 18 ball. 18 home runs, 12 in the regular season, six more in the postseason. Pretty and impressive walked showing by him. And yeah, walked. he did. And that's, uh, that's the thing with, you know. He walked more in winter, I think, than he did all, all during the regular season. Only 19 walks in the regular season. Pretty sure he had 20 walks in winter ball. But So when trying to decide where to rank Rodriguez and Duran, you know, it, I mean, it, I could see arguments. 
you know, I could, I was at least, you know, I had people inside the organization who were like, you know, I, I could see him being, you know, really high, one, two, you right. know, three. And I had a little trouble going that high on a guy who, you know, on a like in Jorman Rodriguez's case, on a 16-year-old who's, you know, yet to have a, a official pro at bat. That's pretty tough. I could see putting him all the way down at, you know, if you wanted to, you could put him at like 15. But there, the tools there are such that it was like, okay, you know, Jorman's tools compare favorably with Drew Stubbs, who's number three. Well, sure. Stubbs is a better prospect because Stubbs hit at AAA. I mean, and yeah, he made other, some strides this year, really offensively, significant strides. But I'd say. if Rodriguez, I mean, the, but the profile is very similar. Stubbs is a outstanding defensive center fielder who can run. Who basically the one question is, you know, okay, how well will he hit? Roman Rodriguez is the exact same guy. The only difference is he's, you know, just turned 16. Now, with them being a guy who just turned 16, this is going to be very difficult for a while because I was talking about this with Ben Badler in the office, and we're talking about, so let's say he goes to the GCL this year. Right. And you almost can throw out if he does well or does poorly. It doesn't really, you know, mean a whole lot. He's a 16-year-old making an adjustment to the, you know, U.S. Say next year he goes to, you know, the Pioneer League, which would be a 17-year-old in the Pioneer League. So you're going in 2010. So, yeah, so we're talking, we'd be talking about going into 2011, he'll be getting ready to make his full season debut. Potentially. And we'll almost be tired of rocking, (laughs) talking about him. Almost have some prospect fatigue already for Jorman Rodriguez. It's a challenge, no doubt. And and it's something where it's gone, you know, it goes well, it goes poorly. I mean, you know, sometimes we've been too aggressive with some of these guys in the past. At the same time, you know, sometimes we've been aggressive with them. I mean, Felix Hernandez we were aggressive with and right. we were basically trumpeting Felix Hernandez, you know, at a time where not many people knew who Felix Hernandez was. Yeah, I think it's uh, good to be a little cautious and I think it also is good to get excited about guys like this and you just have to try to guard yourself against prospect fatigue. But, the, you know, the clubs get it too. There's no doubt that clubs get it. See Felix P.A. See, I mean, there are many other guys where clubs just uh, wish, you know, kind of ho- expect the guy to be on a certain timetable. When that player is not on their timetable, they lose patience and move on. I mean, like the, the Indians are the opposite with, with Adam Miller. have been excessively patient with a guy with all his injury issues. I mean, I don't think it's – I shouldn't say excessively. They've been exceedingly patient with Adam Miller, and that's how that guy is in their top five for like the fifth year in a row after – three or four years at number one in their, in their uh, system. But, uh, you know, I, I, the red system is really interesting. That Kyle Lotzgar is the only pitcher you list. He's a Canadian right-hander and missed part of the year with, what, a broken elbow, broken bone in yeah. his elbow. Who's the next pitcher on the reds list? Well, after that you get into relievers. I mean, ah, there, are, okay. there are multiple. Who's their next starting pitcher? Their next starting pitcher. Sam LeCure? No, imagine. no, no. Sam LeCure is not. He's – I mean, they have this year. they have – He's vanilla. They will go into the. They will go into spring. They have a fifth starter job open, you know, right now at least. And they'll go into spring with Homer Bailey, Daryl Thompson, who is the next. Ah, there you go. Daryl Thompson, not far off the top ten, but Homer Bailey, Daryl Thompson, Matt Maloney, uh, Ramon Ramirez, top twenty type of guy. Ramon Ramirez, another guy who's kind of change up piece, who has an outstanding change up and had success in a limited exposure last year in the big league level. Okay. So you've got those guys plus throw in Micah Owings, who they traded for in the Dunn deal. Forgot about Micah. So you have five guys battling for one job, and they're probably the the losers, the four losers of that job, probably all end up in AAA. So, so Louisville could be interesting. Louisville could have a, a very deep pitching staff at least. Um, but I would say Ramirez, to me, Ramirez and Thompson are the next two guys as far as not – 
Homer Bailey, you know, and Michael Owens don't you know qualify right, anymore. Right, right. You know, those are the two guys. The next, as far as starting pitchers, the that would next be the best. that would be the weakness for me for the uh, <laughs> for the Reds. The, it's it's the weakness in that the, the Reds, as far as where to rank them overall. I mean, we had this discussion in the office. It's like how do you how do you value depth versus impact? And we generally we come down on the side of impact talent makes you know is more important right. than depth. The Reds have. The Reds have a number of guys who didn't make the top ten who I expect to play in the big leagues next year. Right. You know, Ryan Hannigan didn't make the top ten. He's going to be their number searching two catcher. Searching mentally for, my, for his name right now. Yeah. But he's going to be their number two catcher. You know, I mean, he was going to be their number one before they traded for Ron, Ramon Hernandez. Right. You know, Chris Dickerson didn't make the you know the top ten. He'll be in the big leagues this year. You know, and you can keep going. Josh Renicky, you know, is going to be in the big leagues this year at some point, the right-handed reliever. As long as I don't pair him with Jordan Smith, everything will be fine. But – so little inside joke there, but so it is something where you know they have depth, but how much does that depth? But we're, how we, how much can they bring that to bear? But that's a that's another we'll, show. Yeah, we'll 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 move on to. Okay, so who do you think's next? I mean, for me, it's Pittsburgh, and uh, but I think we have some disparate uh, opinions on Pittsburgh. I just know talking with Jim Callis about this, for example, and Pedro Alvarez is clearly the number one guy, and there's some off season issues going on with Pedro. We had the the holdout. He showed up overweight to instructional league. Uh, we had those quotes in September where Greg Which Smith was, basically said he's going to come into. I'm confident he'll come to spring training in better shape. And you know what? You could you could write off when he showed up for instructional league overweight after essentially missing, you know, sitting out yeah, for three months. You go okay. He he shouldn't That's have eaten as much as he did. He didn't work out as much. But okay, now he's signed. We'll see what he shows up as. He, At January mini camp, and he showed up overweight again. That's with, much more troubling. And with tendonitis in his knees. From being overweight, which made it harder for him to condition. I'm sorry, that sounds like me, not like a guy who just got $6 million to play. So, uh, to me, the Pirates have to be disappointed. You don't want to read too much into that, I don't think, with Pedro Alvarez and what, how that affects his long-term future. He got that money because the guy can hit. And, and he still can hit. I think he can still hit. But if he's a first baseman, not a third baseman, I'm less impressed with old Pedro. I'm also, to me, the shine is a little bit off on Andrew McCutcheon. That doesn't mean that I don't think Andrew McCutcheon will be a solid regular. I just don't think he's going to be a star. Now, can he be a center fielder and everyday regular? Yeah, I think he can. And I know Nate McLeod got a gold glove. I know that because that was the Pittsburgh Pirates Christmas card was with gold glove or Nate McLeod. But I think he also had like a minus 27 in the fielding Bibles plus minus. So I don't think Nate McLeod is going to keep Andrew McCutcheon from being the center fielder. I think Nate McLeod goes to a corner and becomes a productive outfield corner. He had a nice and year offensively last year. That works, and, and that and you because you need McCutcheon to be a center fielder because that's right. his value somewhat is tied up in that. I, he doesn't hit for a corner guy, and you know what? All the comparisons on him out of high school were Lasting's Millage. He's kind of headed that way, and that's just not as a great a comp in 2009 as it was in 2005. Then you got Jose Tabata, who finished strong. I had great reports on him in the Eastern League after the trade, but the bottom line is the guy at age 19 was very young for that league and was really overmatched the whole first half and didn't handle it well. Had a couple of tantrums, basically, when he was a Yankee. Had a suspension for throwing a tantrum. And Brad Lincoln, you know, your 2006 uh, draft, the fourth overall pick, and boy, he's looking like the worst pick of that draft. It's so far, I understand, you can't write him off, and there's a good track record for guys coming back from Tommy John surgery, but like a 460-some, 470 ERA in A-ball last year. And he's in A-ball, he's a a polished he college guy, he, you know, A-ball. that's not something where you say, hey, you know, well, he was overmatched. Right, 23 years old in A-ball. I mean, I know he's coming off Tommy John surgery, so there's some caveats. Brian Morris, Tommy John, Neil Walker, Warlords. No, <laughs> bad, <laughs> bad, bad Bill Clinton reference. But, you know, 102 to 29 strikeout to walk ratio. Jeff Sues, 
big time arm, but you know, ridiculous injury history from Jeff Sears. That's the first year in four he's been healthy. Uh, Shelby Ford is an extra guy. Daniel McCutcheon is a middle reliever at best on a championship team. Robbie Grossman is solid but not spectacular. That's a pretty weak top ten. It's the Pirates. It's what we've come to get used to. It's I mean, a pretty weak organization. I don't think there's any other way to put it. They have a ton of work to do there with the new administration going into their second year. And honestly, I don't think they got off to a great start. I don't think they made great trades uh, in trading off ex Nady and Jason Bay. They got okay value, but not great value, JJ. And the Alvarez thing certainly didn't. They couldn't have. They, they probably could have handled that uh, a lot better. They didn't sign their second rounder in Tanner Shepherds. It's good that you take a chance on him, but. Uh, the guy who I'm a little bit surprised didn't make their top 10 is Jarrett Cunningham, the uh, GCL infielder who had a really nice GCL debut and was a nice piece of scouting by the Pirates. Now he's a Pacific Northwest kid who missed all but one or two games of his spring high school season due to a knee injury. But really nice job by the Pirates to scout him, go off the reports from when he was a junior, and uh, get that guy for what they signed him for. And then he had a really nice pro debut for him. He looks like a guy who's athletic who can hit. So um, I think the Pirates... Had a chance. They have a chance to have a good 2008 draft, but there's still quite a few ifs in that group. I mean, well, you know, for the new the new regime there, the difficulty starts from the fact that you start basically so far underwater. Absolutely. That you have to claw just to get basically to the surface. I mean, it's you amazing. Know. Really, Cam Bonifay really left them in much better shape than Dave Littlefield did. I, I mean, mean you, I thought Cam Bonifay was one of the worst general managers in baseball when he got fired by the Pirates. Dave Littlefield was, I think, his track record's much worse. You look at, you know, I mean, they're going to this year, barring something extremely unexpected, they're going to set the record for the most consecutive losing seasons yeah. in U.S. professional sports. Yeah, oh, no doubt. Yeah, not, not, I mean, like, you know, not baseball, just. just oh, I know. That's worse than the L.A. Clippers. <laughs> I mean, you know, worse than the Bengals. Worse than the pre-1970s Steelers. I the, mean, really bad. And so you have that. Let's do that in just for your Yeah, benefit. I appreciate that, you know. But <laughs> but you have that. And the reality of it is you look at them right now and they don't have I mean, they have to have Pedro Alvarez has to develop. Yeah, best case and their best case scenarios are not that great. Because he has to develop into a cornerstone player because that's the thing that the Pirates have lacked. I mean, really, what, since Barry Bonds left? Basically, I mean, uh, their cornerstone player. Well, the thing is they did have Brian Giles there yeah. with 39 homers a year, basically, every That's year true. around the turn of the decade. But mostly they've locked up players who they thought were cornerstone players who weren't, like Jason Kendall or like Jack Wilson or like Freddie Sanchez. The guys they've given a lot of money to have been guys who haven't, as soon as they got the money, haven't been as good as they thought they and, were. And even when before they got the money, in a lot of cases, like, you know, they weren't that good. I mean, and to me, the big issue is they haven't developed pitching. We had a nice feature in this issue, kind of a what-if feature that John Parado, our longtime correspondent, did. I thought John laid it out pretty well. There are a lot of turns in the road over those 15 years the Pirates could have done differently. But to me, the biggest one is the 2002 draft, Upton for Bullington. And then the other one is the <laughs> the great one, uh, the, the trade uh, where they you know were offered uh, Ryan, Ryan Howard, Howard for, for Kip, Kip Wells. Talk about an impact player you could build around. I know Ryan Howard's a little overrated. I know he had a three thirty nine on base percentage. It is but still if he was a pirate. The kind of players that get overrated are the kind that lead the major leagues in home runs and RBIs every year. And that's still there's quite a bit of value in that, no well, matter what his on base percentage is. The reality of it is is and I think this probably is the, the perfect summi- summation before we move on to the Cubs and Astros is the other what if in there that we would be talking about right now. If the Pirates 
in 2007 had just said, you know what? Yeah. Matt Wieters, we like him. We're going to pay gonna, what it takes to take him. We're going to pay what it takes. And you'd be talking right now about Wieters 1, Alvarez 2. Absolutely. If you did that, that's two potential cornerstones to build around. Instead, Daniel Moscos is not on this top ten. Yeah. And it wasn't he wasn't close to no. being on this top ten. No. And that's uh you know, no offense to Daniel Moscos, but he could go down in history as like the Sam Bowie of baseball. But I mean, much worse but a much worse version gonna, of Sam Bowie. I don't think Matt Wieters is necessarily gonna be Michael Jordan, but Sam Bowie had some pr- productive games in the NBA when he wasn't hurt. Uh, Daniel Moscow's chances of making the major leagues are looking pretty slim, and that's the bottom line with Littlefield. And the problem, Littlefield the prob- and his and his group did not evaluate talent properly. Period. They chose guys like Brian Bullington over BJ Upton. They chose guys like Daniel Moscow's over Matt Wieters. Regularly, they stared elite talent in the face and went the other way. And they can blame it on the economics all they want. The bottom line is they misevaluated talent. And the reality of it is, is that. When you talk about how much money was difference between Weeders and Moscos, minimal in the long term. It's it's basically just one less year of Jack Wilson, you know, on the. Yeah, it's it's inexcusable. So, uh, Baseball America podcast. I'm John. He's JJ. We're wrapping up the National League Central. We're going to take a quick email question at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Actually, uh, Kenny Smith. I don't believe this is Kenny the Jet Smith, because um, if it were, that'd be terrible, uh, and he'd be a knucklehead. But uh, Kenny asked about the uh, White Sox and his namesake, Kenny, Kenny Williams, um, over that uh, usually they make moves to bolster the club, not the farm system, but to bolster the big league club. But this year it seems like it was more uh, for the future. What do we think of the additions of Brent Lillibridge and Jeffrey Marquez um, for their top 10 and the top 30s? And I bring that up because Brent Lillibridge originally a pirate. And a couple years ago he was kind of like one of the hot new things, almost like it was like a – uh, Pirates version of Dustin Pedroia, uh, the little guy who hit for some power. I don't think he's that player anymore. To me, for the White Sox, uh, you know, Brett Littlebridge is a better version of Chris Getz, a different version of Chris Getz, one who strikes out more, should hit for a little more thump. I used to be Mr. Jeffrey Marquez because the scouts I talked to outside the Yankees organization said, yeah, his curveball and changeup are solid average. You put that together with a average fastball with good life and an average slider that he keeps down. He's a full average pitch guy, going to get a lot of ground balls, be an innings eater. Took a big step backwards last year with the curveball and the changeup, and is basically just a sinker slider guy now. Might just be uh, best suited as a middle reliever. But that's the kind of guy that the White Sox, I will give, you know, the White Sox have done a really good job. If you want to say what they've, one of their talents they've had is to take especially pitchers who had good reputations at some point. Right. That reputation has been destroyed. Yeah. They take them, they bring them in, they put Teach an arm around his shoulder, <laughs> they they work with them, and you know, and Gavin Floyd becomes, hey, you know, maybe this, you know, remember Gavin Floyd? He was pretty good at he one point. He was the number four overall pick in two thousand one, and right now, uh, you know, Joe Maurer went first in that draft, but Mark Pryor two, Dewan Brazelton three, Gavin Floyd four, Mark Teixeira five. Right now, Gavin Floyd's the third best out of those guys, and he's probably always going to be the third best of those guys from here on out because. Uh, and the chances of Mark Pryor resuscitating his career are very small, which pains me to say. And DeJuan Brazelton's done. He's done. So, so uh, no, I, I think that Don Cooper, the pitching coach, there really is seems like he's expert at teaching guys a cut fastball or adding a pitch or subtracting a pitch from their repertoire. And you saw John Danks make the same leap last year, Gavin Floyd. Uh, we've seen it with veterans in the past, like Esteban Loaiza. We've seen it with young guys. Uh, he's a pretty what they good did with Bobby coach. Jenks. Bobby Jenks, they took off the scrappy. Absolutely, yeah. He was waived, absolutely. So, uh, 
uh, you know, the, either of these organizations, Houston or the Cubs, could use a guy like that because uh, these are two of the worst organizations in baseball in terms of their farm systems, J.J., their farm system talent. The Cubs probably would have been pretty low even with Felix P.A. if he'd qualified, and obviously now they traded him. And with uh, uh, Jose Seda. But this is a, yeah, that's right. Well, Jose Seda would have improved them, but this is a rough list. And uh, you've got uh, two Korean uh, signees on this list. Uh, one with Tommy John surgery, and I, I, actually two, both with Tommy John surgery. One a pitcher, and one uh, Ed Hakchuli, uh, their shortstop. Uh, that's my nickname for him. His name sounds like uh, the Ed muscular Hockey, uh, yes. NFL uh, referee, but uh, Jim just calls him the muscular ref. Jim Jim Callis just refers to the shortstop Hakchuli as the muscular ref. But uh, you got a ninth round pick in Jay Jackson. I'll be an exciting one, but a ninth round pick is a number nine prospect. It might have ranked higher, but you know Jay Jackson was also the number two prospect last year in the Great Lakes League in the summer of 2007. I'll point that out again. So if you're a subscriber and you love the draft, you got to check out our summer college lists because uh, we, we drill are... down deep. Um, but, but you got Kevin Hart, who's a decent middle reliever. You got Jeff Samarja two and Andrew Cashner three. It's a it's both not of a great may, list. You know, just you know. There's a lot of argument whether they're just relievers or if can, you know can they start. I mean, Starlin Castro is a you know Arizona League middle infielder. He's number seven. Uh, this is just an ugly top thirty. Uh, the whole top thirty was just ugly. I don't I don't really have a great thing to say about the Cubs. I said their farm system continues to get worse as their major league team gets better. I know they'd like the trade off, but we better win a playoff series if the trade off is going to be worth it. And at some point. Uh, you got to think it's going to catch up to him, JJ. Especially now that they've got a new ownership, you wonder if the new owner will sink as much money into him consistently as the Tribune company used to. Which is funny to hear that because that was always Tribune the has no money now. And that was also the thought of, for a long time was that the Tribune was actually holding them down because you know Wrigley basically Wrigley Field essentially is a uh, license a to print machine. money. But the thing so is, they have made they have they no have, they have they've put money into that front office. They did, of course. You could argue they did as they were trying to sell it, so they needed a winner. Great sell. point. Uh, that's a great point. You know, that's but a point well taken. But no, you, you look at the Cubs and it's like, okay, you can go the uh, the route of, hey, we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're a big market team. We're gonna go free agent. We're going, you know, we're gonna plug holes that way. We'll make trades from our farm system. But they're running out of guys in this farm system to trade. I mean, there's, you know, when when we're talking about basically in the offseason, Jake Peavy. I, I mean, from everything, it sounds like it, it does seem like that the the Padres were a little difficult to deal with as far as trading PV. Right. That being said, one of the first questions that comes up when they say, okay, well, they're working on a PV trade, it's like, well, who from the Cubs farm system? Yeah. I mean, you obviously start with Vitters, who's their number one prospect. You have to. But you go beyond that, and it's like, okay, so you need some other key pieces here, and... Yeah, I mean the the thing is like the and to me without PA it's a lot less attractive. But like the thing is the Cubs do have some guys at the top of their farm system who aren't el- prospect eligible anymore. Sedeno, uh, 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 Ronnie Sedeno jumps to mind. But how much he's not a centerpiece; he's an extra piece. Right. You need you they have seem a lot like of you need a pieces. second cornerstone to make a trade like that. And they don't have it. And that's you know you you can run into problems like when they you know if they're in the if they're in the race you know say in July and they need to add a part or two. Unless they have a draft, you know, where well, the draft won't really help them because they can trade those guys, but they're not going to have a whole lot of pieces to deal. Yeah, I think their most tradable commodity to me right now is Wellington Castillo because he's a young catcher. And but the right now is not a great time to trade catchers because a lot of teams have extra catchers. There's a surplus, absolutely. So finally, we'll wrap up the podcast with the Astros. 
And I guess the best thing we can say about the Astros is they had a nice 2008 draft, better than their 2007 <laughs> draft. But uh, even there, I think you have to put the caveat in that uh, Jim made this point to me yesterday. He almost thinks that sometimes you can almost overrate the Astros' 08 draft class because it looks so good in comparison to their 07 draft class. But let's be, let's be frank. Their 08 draft class, Jason Castro, we caught him an overdraft on draft day. That was a little strong. I think the key is that uh, was he the 10th best talent in the draft? I don't think the consensus is that he was the 10th best, or I guess actually the 8th best overall pick. I forget where he was picked overall. Uh, I think it was actually 10th. But, uh, you know, he went ahead of Justin Smoke, the first baseman who went to the Rangers. I think consensus would be uh, Justin Smoke is a better prospect than Jason Castro. Jason Castro can catch and he can hit, and I like Jason Castro. Uh, calling him an overdraft is a little strong, but maybe he wasn't the most talented player on the board at 10. Then Jordan Lyles, who they took 38th overall, uh, was not a consensus guy. It doesn't mean he's a bad pick. He just wasn't a consensus 38th best player in this draft. I don't think he was anything close to that. I think the stronger consensus was 5th to 10th round guy. And Bobby Heck has said he had a great workout for them. I'm a little leery of the workout guys myself. Uh, so I think I would take a body of work over a couple months rather than a workout. But he's 17 when he was drafted. He's a young, power-armed right-hander. He could be something. Um but the rest of their system is uh, – it's scuffling, J.J. This, you know, oh, it's – Johnny well, Ash should not make the handbook, and Johnny Ash made the handbook last year. I think he didn't make it this year, unfortunately, well, for Johnny Ash. The best way to put it is, is, I mean, like, if you compare any draft to their 2007 draft, it'll look good because right. their 2007 draft will but, go down as one of the worst drafts that any team has ever had has the potential in the to history have the worst, of the draft. Has the potential to, have the, to be the worst draft ever. Colin DeLome almost single-handedly has to carry that draft now. Maybe Kyle Greenwald, who's also not that good – but uh, Colin DeLome was pretty much carrying that draft on his own. He did hit 22 home runs last year between two A-ball levels. He also struck out 128 times. The so. only thing that you can say positive for their 2007 draft is that, well, at least they didn't spend any money. Right. At least that's they didn't the reason the draft money. was so bad, though, that's is right. they didn't spend any money. They're getting what they paid for. But the the Astros have it, – it's hard to get a handle. Like, they really went into last year clearly with the emphasis that, hey, we think we can win this, you know, we can we can win the Central. And they did finish strong. They finished strong, but what did that get them? I don't know. 86 and 76, maybe it helped them sell a few tickets in 2009, but I don't know that it was Because uh, you look it. at them going into the 2009 season and you don't say, well, the Astros are clearly, you know, a team. Right. The no. rest of that division's getting better. I mean. At the know. major league level, I mean, like – uh, are they as good as Milwaukee? I don't know. We don't know what Milwaukee. Milwaukee will has. take a little step down, but you know but, but the, like Cubs the, the Cubs should Cubs. The Cubs I, are you know. Yeah, the Reds. I don't know what to make of the Reds because you do still have the Dusty factor. I'm not. I'm not a person who believes that Dusty Baker will be the guy who's leads into the promised land. But the Cardinals, I think, should be better. Their rotation's a little more settled. Uh, they should. Have, they probably will have better health this year. Um, so I don't think the Astros are making the leap. It wouldn't it would it wouldn't stun me if they had a nice year this year, but and they don't have some of the pieces who were nice complimentary pieces for them down the stretch last year, like a Randy Wynn. I mean a Randy Wynn, Randy Wolf, or a Ty Wigginton who at least hits. He doesn't defend, but at least he hits. So a lot of questions for the Astros in the major league level, even more questions for them in the minor league level. And to me they're thirty with a bullet in terms of our organizations. I think they're the worst organization farm system talent wise in baseball. I I didn't really uh Give it much of a second thought when I rank them thirtieth. So uh, I mean, it, it's just the reality of it is, is that if you're looking when you're looking through these top tens, one of the things that jumps out is how many guys in that top ten. You know, especially when you get the handbook, even more. But when you, you know, because we suggest, I mean, if you love this, 
by the prospect handbook. We'll you know be shipping them out you know this yeah, week. The truck arrived today. And one more thing to throw in, I got to plug this. If you order the handbook directly from Baseball America and BaseballAmerica.com, you can go order it at BaseballAmerica.com, or you can email, uh, call us 800-845-2726. You order the prospect handbook from us. That's uh, top thirty organization, top thirty prospects for all thirty organizations. Order from us, and you get a special supplement with an extra thirty-first prospect for every team. So instead of nine hundred scouting reports, you get nine hundred and thirty. So we made our uh, prospect handbook one louder this year. So uh, that's our uh, marketing slogan for that, actually, and we're sticking to it. Uh, but uh, I, the Astros coming up with the thirty-first guy was tough. Put it that way. That's that's a. Uh the 31st guy for the Astros is, if you're ranking the 930 scouting reports, he's probably going to be number 930. Put it this way, we came close. You, you, the number 31 guy for one – we were debating yesterday where the number 31 guy in one organization would fit in the Astros' top 10, and the consensus was that he would fit into their top 10. So, uh, But uh, that, that, that's, that's a good way to summarize how not good <laughs> the Astros' farm system is. JJ, lastly, a uh, long podcast today, but uh, Super Bowl pick – uh, I know where your loyalties lie. JJ's a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I'm a fan of only one National Football League team, and that would be the Yanni Jahui's, my fantasy football team. But, JJ, uh, you're not only a Steelers fan, uh, you don't own the company, but you are a an expert. I think I'm fa- safe in saying that on the Steelers and on football. What's your take for uh, this weekend's game? Uh, the thing that uh, I'm, I'm insane when it comes to this, I love baseball, I love football. Those are my two sports. I mean, basketball and all, I kind of keep an eye on. But Those, oh, so those two things, the, the Lord and your and your family are your passions. That's And yeah. I, I used to say Mexican food. But uh, I still, I still okay. you know, I'm okay. having Mexican food on Sunday for the Super Bowl. Right, walling you off, you know, cutting off the outside world and eating right. guacamole and fajitas. But, uh, um, but I've gone back and watched multiple Cardinals games this week, you know, to kind of prepare for the game. And, and the thing that jumps out is is that if anyone says that they know what's going to happen with the Cardinals in this game, I, I just don't believe it because this Cardinals team in the playoffs has been so much better than the Cardinals team in the regular season was. And so it's just really hard to know. I mean, which team will show up? Right. I don't think, you know, I don't think that it'll be a blowout with the Cardinals winning by a blowout. I just don't think the Steelers defense has not been blown out by anyone all year. Right. Have they allowed more than 300 yards yet in the game? Twice. Twice. They, uh, Darren Sproles had a 65-yard catch late in the game against the uh, in the playoff game. That put him over 300 in that game. Okay. And then the Titans had a little over 300 in week 15, or the okay. 15th game of the season. Two times the Steelers allowed 300 yards in a game. So I don't think – I mean, the Steelers' defense – basically goes into this game if they win it if they shut down the cardinals it should be a game that you know kind of okay this defense was is one of the great defenses you know of of the modern era but at the very least put them in the discussion with your 85 right. bears or 2000 ravens i'd say the 2000 ravens the 85 bears are better than this year's defense okay. but you know they would at least be in that discussion um they're first in the league in most categories this year and but, amazing consistency and and the thing about it is is that they get a legit challenge in the in the Super Bowl. Like you know, okay, if you got a good defense, you'd want them to be challenged. Well, Hall of Fame quarterback Larry Fitzgerald is the. I hate. You know, I can't. Just to me that day, you didn't even bat an eye at I, Kurt I, Warner Hall I, of Fame I, it's, quarterback. Uh, it's a debatable. It's a very debatable. But you know, I mean, there's a lot of people are gonna. Super Bowls is what and, it's about in the NFL when it comes NFL, to Hall of Fame. And the NFL Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, those doors are wide open. That door's gonna swing wide. But. But you know, so the the shorthand version is is I think I think it's got a chance to be a really good game. Um, I think that you know won't 
bore our baseball fans with too much of this, but I do think that you know I, I think the Steelers edge the Cardinals, but I think that the you know the Cardinals defense is good enough to hold down what's not a great you know Steelers offense, and I think the Steelers defense is very you know definitely good enough to hold down what's a really good Cardinals offense. I think it's a it's a classic uh, battle of. Uh, Offense versus defense, and it should be fun to watch got, the cat and mouse. I uh, like it should it. be fun, and uh, there's a Troy Palomala ad. They're going to do the homage to the Mean Joe Green ad from uh, the 70s. Oh, it's awesome. Really, it's really pretty cool. Also, uh, you might check Jim Callis, I believe, contributed to a Mark Topkins feature in the St. Pete uh, Times where uh, BA correspondent Mark Topkins wrote about the baseball ties of players on these two teams. I believe there are four players on these two NFL teams who were drafted. And Moelle Day Moore is the one who had the most significant uh, baseball career, uh, playing several years in the Padres farm system before he uh, decided to go play college football at Tulane. But uh, that's that's pretty all I got. I, I don't remember the other three guys. Who, who, oh, no, Dennis Dixon. Yep. Your third-string quarterback for the Steelers. Just as significant baseball-wise. I mean, he's like they, you know. Fifth-round pick, he's still playing, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, for the Braves system. He's a Braves minor leaguer, active minor leaguer in the Super Bowl this weekend, so that's another excuse for us to talk about it. But, uh, again, I would encourage you to Google J.J. Cooper plus Steelers if you like uh, football and if you really want to get a almost a Baseball America-style drill down on football. That's what J.J. gives you. I am uh, insane, online. I will admit. So for J.J. Cooper, who will be in much better spirits next week if the Steelers win than if they lose, I'm John Manuel. We'll talk to you next week on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.